Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. This reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit in, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Well, we come to the end of um, the book of Ephesians, which is great. It's taken us a little while to get there, <laughs> but uh, it's good. And uh, this is a really great place to conclude this passage, this, uh, this letter to the Ephesians. And I uh, want to pray for us as we listen to these words, because they're so important for us uh, as we think about the whole letter, because it actually is a letter. It's really speaking to the people of God and how they can thrive in a world uh, where, where there are hostilities and, and opposition to them, uh, not, just, not, not around them physically, but actually in the spiritual realm. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Paul. <laughs> what, a, what a great person of God he was. Uh, Lord, he was, he was uh, struck down there on the road to Damascus and um, you revealed yourself to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that time on, he sought to proclaim your lordship wherever he went. For he's a great and deep thinker and he's written so much about you and about how to follow you in this world. And sometimes it's hard to understand what he's saying, uh, but it, uh, it's, it's a great truth that um, when we grasp and when we grapple with it, it helps us to encounter you, the Lord Jesus, and you change our lives. So I pray this morning, as we listen to the word, that it, would, uh, that it would affect us, that we would go away from here changed people, transformed by your spirit and with your word re- resonating in us. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I was, when I was growing up... Um, I reckon that Hollywood had a bigger influence 
uh, on what I believed about the devil and evil than I think the Bible did. Uh, in many movies, you might not have seen them, but you might have seen them advertised, uh, evil is often sort of portrayed as this powerful force that takes control of unfortunate people and things. It overwhelms them so much so that they just do weird and unnatural things. People's heads spin around in Hollywood movies. And there's always, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but there seems to be always bucket loads of green slime in them for some reason. According to Hollywood, people who are possessed by an evil spirit have always have superhuman strength and they're not bound by the physical laws of the universe. And when the devil is portrayed in, in the media or uh, on a movie or in a movie, he's shown to be some sort of weird and grotesque character, uh, someone whom you would spot a mile away and you'd run from them. Uh, and uh, he's also probably portrayed more as a, a, super, a character from our superstitious past. And so that sort of tells us that it's, that it's only the foolish who would actually believe that the devil exists. Unfortunately, I think that uh, Hollywood's portrayal of evil also influenced what I noticed in the Bible as I, as I read it about the devil and, and evil. And so if you'd asked me when I was young, what examples could I give about the devil in the Bible or, and, and the work of the devil, I would only mention stories in which these were really obvious, you know, like the story of the, the man who lived in the graveyard who was possessed by hundreds of spirits whom Jesus delivered. I wouldn't have mentioned other more subtle incidents that are in the scriptures, like the, the religious leaders' opposition to Jesus or the blinding of people's minds to the truth about God. And I wouldn't have even probably seen the confrontation or when Jesus confronted Peter, uh, when he said, get behind me, Satan, because Peter had tried to talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying. I probably wouldn't have even seen that, as uh, even though Jesus mentioned Satan. I might not have even mentioned that that was some sort of encounter with, with, um, in which the, the devil was involved. Because in many ways, those incidents are too subtle and they didn't fit my own stereotype of what evil is and what the devil does. You know, I don't think that those views that I was alone, I don't think I'm alone in, the view, in holding those views that I used to hold. In fact, I think Hollywood's version of evil and the devil are also really common views today and, and not just by people outside the church but actually by some people inside the church as well and perhaps they're views that you might have of evil and the devil yourself this morning. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, Screwtape, one of the chief devils, tries to train his nephew, Wormwood, uh, who's this sort of junior demon, how to lead people astray so that they don't seek after God if they're not followers of Jesus or if they are, then they would leave following Jesus and, uh, because of their disappointment or their, uh, their defeat. And so Screwtape tells Wormwood, he tells Wormwood his strategies or their strategies. He says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope. It's soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. 
And I think this is a really brilliant description of the way the devil works. You see, the devil rarely goes for the nuclear option. He doesn't often cause the complete meltdown of people. More frequently, he wears people down. He catches them in their unguarded moments and exploits those weaknesses. When we read the Bible with more awareness of, about the devil, we can see that it talks a lot about the different ways that he works. And what may surprise you as you read it is that he doesn't always work in spectacular and weird ways or, or in obvious ways as Hollywood suggests. That would, because that would actually alert people to his activities. The Bible talks a lot about the different ways that the devil works, many of the attitudes and behaviours actually that people struggle with, that even we struggle with as followers of Jesus, like lying, deceit, pride, bitterness, rage, unrelenting guilt and shame and so forth. These, to a large part, are the result of the devil and his demonic agents who are tempting and prompting and stirring people to give themselves over to these attitudes and behaviours. And we know this because the Bible says that the devil schemes, he stalks, deceives, ensnares, hinders, harasses and attacks people. So the subtle, the subtle but pervasive way the devil works should actually be a wake-up call for us today. It should also make us recognise that we're actually living in a spiritual war zone and that to survive and to thrive as followers of Jesus, we need God's help and we also need God's protective equipment and weapons to do so. It's common to think that our struggles are only with what we can see and touch, isn't it? That's what we've sort of been taught. That's what, how we've been educated. So we think of poverty, we think of poor education, bad role models, and bad experiences, even people around us, we think that uh, these things are the cause of most of our problems and the struggles that we have in life. But what Paul wants the Ephesians to consider, and I believe he wants us to consider as well, is that there's another starting point for many of the struggles that we face. He's just written a whole section uh, in in the letter to the Ephesians, and we heard Nathan preach on it last week about Uh, about human relationships and how we're meant to engage with those in humility, submitting to one another. But here in the final chapter of Paul's letter, he states that our, our actual struggle is not with people. And it's not just with, it's not with poor, just with poor relationships that we have with people, but with spiritual powers that are actually at work in the world around us. This is hard for us as modern people, isn't it, to to grapple with this. I get that. I'm a modern person myself. Well, I'd like to think I am. (laughs) But um, this is actually famously uh, stated, this this actual uh, interaction or this, this war that's going on is famously stated by Paul. And he sums it up here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says that, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not with people, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Modern people are often unsure what to think about even evil, even many Christians. We agree that there are problems in the world, we agree that we struggle with things, but we're reluctant to suggest that there could be spiritual sources to them as it doesn't fit our worldview. In fact, some of you listening right now might also struggle to believe that there are spiritual sources for evil in the world as well. If, if you do, then I want to, want to ask you to think for a moment. How do you explain the evil that's actually prevalent in the world today? How can you explain the Holocaust? How can you explain the Rwandan genocide? How, do you, how can you explain the killing fields in Cambodia? How can you uh, explain the horrible torture and abuse of children? And much, much more. You might see them as isolated incidents. You might see them as historical circumstances or psychological problems that people have had. But, but actually, when we think about, when we think like this, we're actually continuing to hold on to that Hollywood view of evil, that it's something out there. It's something that only happens occasionally. It only happens in spectacular ways and only happens uh, to a few people. Well, if you call the whole of Rwanda just a few people. But if we're really honest, I want to suggest that our society doesn't actually have an adequate explanation for evil, the evil that surfaces even in us, in our own lives, which shocks us from time to time. We can't explain our rage, our lusts, where the hatred and pride and jealousy, when they rise up in us, we can't explain where they come from. And the world doesn't provide a very convinc- any convincing answers to that either. Again, quoting from C.S. Lewis, he says that uh, when it comes to evil and the demonic beings, people tend to live at two extremes, you see. Either they disbelieve in the existence of them altogether or they have an unhealthy interest in them and they believe that they're actually responsible for every incident or illness or mishap or accident in your life. So today I don't know where you sit on that that spectrum of belief in regard to the sources of evil. But Paul is saying something very important to the Ephesians to help them survive and to thrive in a spiritual war zone, in the spiritual war zone that they lived in, which was saturated with, in, with, uh, with people placating and worshipping different spirits and idols and so forth. And so some of those things are not so obvious for us today, but I think we can learn something from them for our situation today, because I don't think our world is any less saturated with evil than that world back then. But in order to survive, in order to thrive, we must first recognise, and this is a really key, we must first recognise that we actually live in a spiritual war zone and that there is a spiritual struggle going on. Otherwise, if you don't recognise that, then you won't take the necessary precautions, will you? You won't wear something to protect you. Spiritual warfare is sometimes confusing for Christians because on one level we believe that Jesus has defeated the devil completely 
And at the same time, the Bible tells us that God hasn't removed us from the world where the devil is actually still active. And so what this means is that we need to hold both of those things actually in tension as we grapple with how to defend ourselves from the spiritual forces of evil that are still prevalent in the world today. The good news is that God hasn't left people defenceless in the war zone. God wants us to be equipped so that we can thrive, which is why the first thing that Paul told the Ephesians was that they needed to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right from the get-go, Paul tells the Ephesians that it's actually not their own strength or through something extra that they needed to get from God that, will, that, they, were able to be, that they were able to stand firm but rather they'll stand firm by drawing on the power that is available to them from God. And so in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you can remember back that far, Paul already told them about this power that was available to them in Christ. He prayed that they would know his incomparable great power. That's what he was praying for them. Not that they would... uh, that they would suddenly receive it, but actually that they would know it. They would actually experience that which Christ had already given them. They would actually put it into practice, draw on it, so that they could live in the way of Jesus. And that that's, could sound a little bit abstract to you. You think, oh, what does that mean? But Paul goes on to tell us how, that, how they do this. And the way that they, that, we, that they can be strong in the Lord is by putting on the armour of God, the protective gear that God provides and which will shield them from the devil's schemes. So it's, uh, it's not just your own willpower or your own wisdom or you just being a really determined person that will actually help you in this war. It's your willingness to draw on the Lord for help and to utilise what he provides for us. The reason we need the Lord's power and his special equipment is because we're actually not fighting an ordinary war. Remember, it's not actually a struggle uh, with people or with things. It's actually a struggle against spiritual forces of evil. Paul has two images in mind when he thinks about the kind of protective equipment needed to shield us from evil forces. And so the first image that he wants us to have or one of the Ephesians to have is this picture uh, of the Ro- of, of the armor that the Roman soldiers wear. Soldiers, Roman soldiers, are actually really quite well equipped with good armor, which protected all the the necessary or vital parts of their body. Each piece of their outfit played a really important role in keeping them safe when they're under attack. And so, this, so that's one image that he wanted them to have. And they would have seen Roman soldiers all around them. So it would have been a really good and clear uh, illustration for them. But the other image that he wanted them to have, the other image comes from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah says that God actually wears special armour, which he, defends and, which he uh, uses to defend and fight for his people. In Isaiah 11, verse 5, the prophet says, God wears righteousness as a belt and faithfulness as a sash around his waist. Elsewhere, he says that uh, God has ready feet to bring good news and he puts righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on to defend his people 
and to fight for them. So we can recognise these sort of uh, words here, these sort of uh, characteristics here from Isaiah in what Paul's saying in Ephesians. But these sound a little bit like strange pieces of armour, don't they? I mean, a lot of people would prefer, prefer metal, wouldn't they, than those things, if you're going to be putting on armour, something with metal in it. But what Isaiah is saying is that, that God actually wears his character, his character as his armour when he fights on behalf of his people. You see, he wears righteousness, he wears faithfulness, he wears goodness, and he wears his salvation that he gives people and uses these to defeat things that are set up against him, that set up things that are set up to oppose him, his work, and his people. And so what Paul does is he actually joins those two images together, the image of the Roman soldier and God wearing the armour. And he tells the Ephesians that the way they will survive and the way that they'll thrive in a spiritual war zone is actually by putting on God's own special armour. That is God's character and the things that God has done to set us free in the same way that a Roman soldier puts on physical armour to defend themselves. And so the first piece of armour that Paul tells us to put on is actually a belt of truth. And so truth is essentially uh, what God is. It's also a distinguishing characteristic of Jesus. Jesus even said so himself. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the truth. The truthfulness of God is is actually opposite to, uh, to who the devil is. See, the devil is a liar, and he's always been a liar from the very beginning. In fact, uh, in John 8, 44, Jesus calls him the father of all lies, the or- origin, the source of all lies. So how do we put on the belt of truth as armour against the devil's schemes and, and how does that actually help us stand firm? We put on truth by being open in our lives to God and also to the people around us. We put on truth by seeking to speak truth in love to people, to one another all of the time. And the reason that Truth is armour is because when you actually speak the truth, the devil doesn't have anything to twist. He doesn't have anything to use against you. He has no leverage over you. He has nothing to remind you or make you feel guilty about. When I was a teenager, I remember I was trying to impress someone in our church who loved the rural life. And so in this conversation one day I had with this guy, I said to him, I said, oh, yeah, our our family originally came from the land. I don't know why I said it. We never had any land. I guess I felt inadequate in some way and I was trying to impress him. And uh, But instead of him just absorbing that sort of comment, he actually picked up on it. He said, oh, whereabouts was that land? Where, where, where did you have that farm? And then the backpedalling started by me. Oh, you know. Oh, oh, oh. 
I tried to backpedal to get out of the snare. You see, if you speak the truth all of the time, you don't have to backpedal. You don't have to remember who you told what. It can also be used against you by the devil when he wants to accuse you of being a dud Christian because you're lying that your your family had some land somewhere. It's strange though, isn't it? That probably happened more than 35 years ago in my life. But I can still remember it. You know, I've forgotten a lot of other things, a lot of really important things. But why do I still remember that? I remember that lie because the devil has reminded me of that lie on more than one occasion. Today I have victory over that lie in Jesus. Friends, you can wear truth like a belt by speaking and behaving truthfully with other people. And this is actually a sure defence against the devil and his schemes. Another piece of armour are the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. These are two other pieces. And the beautiful thing about these pieces of armour is, is um, they're actually protective equipment that God has made for us, shaped for us. They are actually his righteousness and actually his salvation that you put on, not your own. And so we stand firm against the devil's schemes by accepting that we are righteous only because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so this is, this is because if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are saved and you are made righteous. Jesus has done everything for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But the devil is always trying to trip us up. He's always trying to trip us up. He's always trying to make us either feel guilty or proud. Either way, it doesn't matter to him because they both have the same effect on you. If he makes you feel ashamed and guilty and keeps you hanging on to those feelings, then he's done his job. If you feel that you are a good person who really doesn't need God, but you know, you'll come along to church, then he's done his job as well. When Paul says, put on the righteousness, put on righteousness as a breastplate, And salvation is a helmet. He's saying, remind yourself continually about what God has done for you and who he has made you to be. And that's a lot lot about what we do in communion, isn't it? We remind ourselves continually about what God has done for us in Christ. When Jesus was actually tempted by the devil in the wilderness, the devil tried to get him to doubt who he was. His identity in Christ. And this is what the devil's always trying to do for us as well. You see, the devil tried to get him to doubt who he was. And so what we need to remember there is that these temptations of Jesus came directly after he'd been baptised in the River Jordan. And and we know from that story about uh, about Jesus' baptism that as he came out of the water, he heard God the Father say to him, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When Jesus then went from the Jordan River out into the wilderness to be, and was tempted by the devil, the, actual, the devil challenged him and he challenged this affirmation that God had given to Jesus in his baptism. So each temptation 
there was an attempt by the devil to get Jesus to doubt his true identity. Because we know this, because the devil said to Jesus each time, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels to lift you up. Do you see, do you see what the devil's doing there? He was challenging Jesus' true identity. He was trying to make Jesus doubt that he is a true, truly loved, that he's dearly loved, and that he's actually God's son. And so the devil does the same thing to you and I, doesn't he? If you are really Christian, you wouldn't think like that. If you are really Christian, you would never do that. It's one of the oldest tricks of the devil. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book, isn't it? To make you doubt that you are loved by God and that God has forgiven you and made you righteous. But to stand firm, you need to remind yourself of what God has done in Christ to save you, to make you righteous. Because you are. Another piece of God's armour is related to our feet. Paul says that our, our feet are to be fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What Paul means is that we need to be able to be ready to take the good news about Jesus to others. Now you might think, oh, gee, Ian, I've never been to Bible college. I'm actually not very good on my feet as a public speaker. How does that work? Well, that may be so, but it's actually your testimony that, that, God, that Paul has in mind here. It's your experience of God and the hope that you have in Jesus and his promises that you need to be ready to share. Having feet that are ready, that comes from the gospel of peace, is a, is a willingness to share your hope with others. Thinking about your hope in Jesus and being ready to share it is the arm is armor against the devil's schemes. But it's not only protective armor. Feet fitted with readiness are also useful for advancing the good news about Jesus into, into hard places. What is your hope in Jesus? Do you know what it is? Are you able to articulate your hope in Jesus today in just a few sentences? It's good to think about that. Why do I hope in Jesus? You see, this is, this is what you're meant to share. This is meant to be on the tip of your tongue. And this is a sure defence against the devil's schemes. The shield of faith is another piece of armour that Paul says we are to put on. There is not one piece of armour in this whole sort of kit that is actually more important than the other because actually the whole thing is this package deal. You can't sort of pick and choose. Oh, yeah, I'll take the helmet, but I'll leave the belt. You know, don't need a belt. But faith is described as being like a, a Roman shield because it's useful for protection from attack, but also it's a useful weapon or tool or, or armour for actually helping you advance forward, helping a soldier advance forward uh, into places where that were difficult. And so a Roman shield was typically uh, quite like a rectangle, quite a long but wide, um, wide rectangle-shaped object. And it 
provided pretty good protection from arrows and also from body blows that, uh, that a soldier might get. But, but guess what? The, the shield is also really important and effective when a group of soldiers actually use their shields together at the same time. You see, when a group of soldiers actually overlap their shields with one another, the result was this impenetrable barrier for both defence and attack, which is a picture for us as a church when we overlap our faith with one another. But what type of faith is Paul talking about that is protective and helpful for advancing the gospel in a world that's hostile to Jesus? It's not the strength of your belief that Paul has in mind, again here, is rather believing what God says about himself and believing what he says he has done and is actually doing in the world. Putting on the shield of faith then means reminding yourself that God is faithful and remembering that he keeps his promises to his people for eternity. The final piece of armour is the sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the Word of God. This, is, this actually isn't typically, uh, is, is not armour that you put on, but it is equipment that you use for defence and for also advancing the gospel. And so Jesus used the Word of God to actually bat away the devil's attacks in the wilderness when he was tempted. Every time the devil suggested to Jesus that he had, he had an inadequate understanding of God, Jesus drew on the Bible, drew on, drew on Scripture to state truth in those situations. And so the Bible is also useful to advance the gospel because the Holy Spirit actually brings it to life when you actually use it, when you read it. it, brings it he brings it to life for you and also as you share it with others. Helps them understand it, helps them grasp its message. It, it, it takes, the Holy Spirit takes away the, uh, the things that blind them or, or keep their eyes closed to its truth. And we know this because in Hebrews 4.12 it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If the word of God is equipment that God has given us to deal with the attacks of the evil one, and it's also a, a, a useful tool for helping others encounter Jesus, then we need to, it's necessary that the Bible doesn't just remain on our shelves, unopened, or just an unopened app on your phone. We need to use it in the same way that a soldier would never go into battle without a weapon, we shouldn't imagine that we can actually effectively withstand the assaults of the evil one without the word of God. To stand firm, you need to read it. If you can't read it, you need to listen to it. You need to meditate on it. You need to pray about it. You need to seek to know the meaning of it for you and for your situation that you're living in. And you need to, so that you can actually take the benefit from it, but also have an opportunity to share it with others about what you're learning, what God's teaching you. And in doing this, the word then becomes a solid protection to you 
against the devil's schemes. The final aspect of standing firm against the devil's attacks is prayer. And so prayer is not physical armour, but it's an essential tool for our defence for taking the gospel to others. You see, in any battle, soldiers need to be in constant communication with the, with the people who are in charge of the battle, so who are overseeing it. And so through prayer, we actually get insights from God about what's going on in our lives, about how the enemy is attacking us, about uh, what opposition there is to us, about how we can avoid that. And so we need to be constantly in communication with God so that we can withstand the devil's schemes and, and also uh, take the gospel into places that are hard to go. This is why Paul says that we are to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Friends, to grow and thrive as followers of Jesus, you need to be aware that you're actually living in a, in a spiritual war zone today. And you need to draw on the Lord's strength and you need to put on uh, the special armour that he's provided for us that I've been explaining to you this morning. Peter the Apostle knew this as much as anyone. It must have been a real shock to, to when Jesus confronted him, when, when Jesus confronted Peter for being the mouthpiece for the devil. Can you imagine that? It's written in history forever. <laughs> but, at, but at that uh, time, you see, Peter was largely unaware of the source of his temptations. He was largely unaware of the sources of the desires that were rising up in him. In time, he came to see that he was not just struggling against Jewish leaders. He wasn't struggling against people's ignorance. They were there, but they were not really the true source of his struggles. He wasn't even struggling with his own weaknesses and ignorance and his inability to understand, but rather he was struggling. There was an active evil agent behind the scenes who was seeking to exploit his weaknesses and to put him off course. Do you believe that this morning? You see, you need to believe it. Otherwise, we'll be continually uh, attacked and assaulted and have no defence for ourselves. Eventually, Peter came to understand the true source of evil and how destructive it can be. And this is why he tells the believers in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, I want to encourage you today to put into practice what Paul and Peter are saying. And in doing so, you can thrive in a spiritual war zone. But we shouldn't only apply this passage individually to ourselves. And I think here is a challenge for us as a community. Paul addressed his letter to a church. And so it's by putting on God's armour collectively, putting it on together, that we stand firm as a faith community. This church has a great reputation for being very active in helping people on the margins of our community and for being very, very generous. We also have a strong history of engaging with people from different cultural backgrounds and sharing uh, the gospel with them, what Christ has done. But in order for us to stand firm 
against the devil's scheme so that, so that we can actually be solid partners going forward with God in the mission, in God's mission to the world and to the suburbs around us and to our neighbours and even further afield. We need to put on this armour collectively and use it together. In the same way that Roman soldiers were highly effective at defending and advancing when they actually worked together using their armour, we also need to do the same with the armour of God that, that he's given to us. Friends, as the band comes up to, uh, to sing our final song, which is No Longer Slaves to Fear, I want to encourage you to to think about this song and as you sing it, I want you to reflect, I encourage you to, to sing it in an attitude of reflection and prayer, asking God to help you be more aware of the spiritual war zone that you live in and, uh, and, uh, and take a moment also to ask God to help you put on the armour that he's provided for you so that we can stand firm individually, but also so that we can stand firm together against the devil's schemes, and so that we no longer need to be slaves to fear anymore and no longer need to be victims of the devil's but people who are thriving, I mean really thriving in a war zone. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he's equipped us for. Let's enter into that this morning. Thank you, Nicole.